Isaiah 57. Let's start with this verse. (laughs) Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and a holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Well, that felt good. Let me just read that again. (laughs) For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So first service, I talked about the the glory of brokenness, and we'll just do this as a part two, about how the Lord invites, and I could say it's more strongly, requires of his people that we have a broken and contrite heart, that we be a people who actually we agree with reality because agreeing with reality, it it agrees, uh, you have to agree with this, that he is infinite, highly exalted, completely other than, and we are dust created from the ground with his life blown into us. You see, when you actually have the proper perspective, humility is just agreeing with truth. But what happens is we don't make God, we don't see God in the way that he is, and we make God to be like us. And he says, I'm completely not like you. I I don't think like you. I I don't, I'm nothing like you. My ways are not like yours. And far, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. And, And he goes, there's nothing that I am that human flesh actually shows, except for I've made you in my image, but your ways are not what I'm like. And so there's this strength that we get operating in the flesh that we don't realize it puts us in direct opposition to God. So then what God does is he gives us clarity through the scripture and like this passage, he says, I who am high and lofty, who inhabits eternity, I who am from everlasting to everlasting, I who, there's no equal to me. He goes, I dwell with a certain kind of person. I dwell with the humble and the contrite. I dwell in the high and holy place with the most lowly. And beloved, this is such a beautiful thing. There is a beauty of brokenness that God wants to give his people if we'll just accept it, if we'll just agree with the true way of things, because the true way of things is this. He is forever exalted, and we are dust. Our challenge is that sinful flesh is always trying to make something of itself, always trying to prove something of itself, always trying to share its own opinion. Isn't that right? There's a lot of opinions out there right now. 
most of them don't matter at all. Like really. Most of what's said in the opinion mills of the world, i.e. social media, most of what's said in that place does not matter at all. It's a bunch of little yapping dogs. It's really what it is. Because there's an opinion that is transcendent, that's above all, and it's heaven's opinion, and that's the one we have to agree with. And so you have to start, though, with sort of the status of things. And the status of things is this. It's what Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So if we'll just agree that without him, we can do nothing, we have nothing, and we are nothing without him, we're at, the, we're at a great starting place. But the beauty of it is this. The radical promises that God offers to those who will agree with true reality. And the radical promise is this. I dwell in the high and holy place with he who is humble and contrite. And beloved, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for another human program to figure out how to do church better. We're looking at God. We were looking for God to dwell in our midst. We're looking for God to dwell in our families, to God, for God to, to dwell in our spiritual family, for him to dwell in our lives. And the only way that happens is by agreeing that he is most exalted and we are not, that we are crushed. See, the difference between a broken person and a prideful person is the broken person just sees a little more clearly. The prideful person's just deceived. They think they got something to give, something to offer. They think they are something. But the broken person just agrees with the truth that we are deeply in need. And that's how Paul got to that place where he said, I glory in infirmities. I glory in, in tribulations. I glory in my neediness. I glory in that place because when I am weak, then his strength is made perfect in me. And beloved, this is where the Lord wants to take us. And, and so the whole first service I preached on brokenness and I, I kind of just, I just left him there. Glory to God. Sorry, first service, because <laughs> I never got to the punchline. And the punchline is he scoops up those that are in the ashes, and he seats us with princes. That's the punchline. The key is to realize you're in the ashes. For as long as you don't think you're in the ashes, you never get scooped up. So he goes, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. And why? To revive you. To revive the spirit of the humble. To revive the heart of the contrite ones. If there is, if you could say there is a key to the manifestation of God's glory, a key to the manifestation of revival, that key, there's, if there was one, if I had to say one, it's humility. It's brokenness. Being in that place where you say, God, I can do nothing. I have nothing. I'm, I'm looking back over my life in ministry, and I may have said this last month. I can't remember. 
But I'm realizing that every time that God would move in powerful ways in, in, in 25 years of ministry, whenever I've seen the Lord accelerate things, anoint things, really move in power, it was right after I threw my hands up in there and said, I can't do this. I'm done. I got nothing. He's like, I'm so glad you, you get it. And I don't know what the problem with you is, but the problem with me is, after I get it and everything starts going awesome, I start thinking I'm awesome. And I'm all, move over Jesus, I'll drive. And he goes, you want to drive? I'm like, I got it. He goes, okay, knock yourself out, because you will. And then I knock myself out, and then I get back to the place, and I go, God! You don't love me anymore. Do you see me? I'm dying. He goes, they're there. I got you. I love you. That's right. You do love me. He goes, that's right. Here, move aside, son. Let me take over. And boom, everything starts going awesome again. You know why? Because he dwells with the broken. And that's the place where he wants to release his glory. Is on a broken people, not on a people that think they've got it all together, not on a people that are like exhibitionists and showing off their own strength, because your, your strength is frailty. Your strength is nothing compared to him. Amen. It's just a truth that we don't like to swallow. Bob McGowan, he's sitting over here. There you are wrote me a note. You don't know this. I made that note my uh, bookmark. I just pulled out and read a few of the phrases. But he said this. He said, uh, brokenness creates a vacuum that draws the presence of God. So good. If we could just get it. I'm telling you, success in any kind of human measurement is a fool's journey. Success, I don't know how I said it. Success in any kind of human measure is a fool's journey. What do you want to be successful? Why? What What are you shooting for? So other humans who are dust as well can tell you you're awesome? It's, yeah, I'm special dust. It's like all the ants are working out to become the strongest ant. And it's like, okay, first place ant, way to go. You're awesome. But in proper perspective, he is from everlasting. He is the most high. He is the alpha and the omega. He's from forever. He actually talks about in the Bible a time before time began which even in itself, we don't, can't even explain that because time hadn't begun yet. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, time before time began isn't, we can't even say it properly because before time began, there wasn't any time. You're still not following me. <laughs> There's no such thing as a time before time began according to human measurements because we can't even wrap our words around this existence before God created anything. It was just God. 
there is no time before time began because time hadn't begun yet. <laughs> now you're getting it, according to us. But according to God, he was there before time began. He was perfect. He was there from forever and to forever. And he picked a little dirt up and went, okay, I love you. And we go, me? He goes, oh yeah, I love you. And we go, me? He goes, not that. All right, so watch this. Isaiah 61. So this is Jesus. This is what Jesus quotes in Luke 4.18, okay? This is the anointing that's on Jesus. But I wanna read it out of what is Brenton's version. And Brenton, what he does is he takes the Greek, the Greek Old Testament and then trans, translates it into English. You'll be shocked to know this is the version that Jesus was reading from. And so, and, and we know that because it reads exactly like this uh, in, in Luke 4.18. Um, specifically, he mentions recovery of sight to the blind in Luke 4.18, which doesn't show up in the Hebrew text in Isaiah 61. That might be more technical than you care, but anyway, there it is. But verse one, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. He has sent me to preach glad tidings to the poor, to do something for the broken in heart, to heal the broken in heart. This is talking about those that, whose, whose hearts have been broken because of human measures, but it's talking about how Jesus is specifically anointed to meet the broken in their brokenness. That's the anointing that's on him. When, when the Pharisees showed up and they weren't broken, he goes, look, I, I only came for the sick. I guess you guys don't qualify because you don't see that you're sick to heal the broken in heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of recompense, to comfort all that mourn. This is the anointing that's on Jesus Christ. That there should be given to them that mourn in Zion glory instead of ashes. The oil of joy to the mourners Look at this, the garment of glory for the spirit of heaviness. I love the way that this version puts it. This is the version Jesus is reading. He says, and they shall be called generations of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for glory. We are the planting of the Lord for what? For his glory to be seen. What's he talking about right here? He's saying, I'm anointed to get broken people and put glory on them and remove their shame. He goes, and in doing that with broken people, it's for my glory. And so, so many people, they walk around with a spirit of heaviness on them. Now, track me, okay? And the reason why they're operating under a spirit of heaviness is because they're living in their own strength. They're living by their own ability. They're living by their own power, okay? And so they're walking and they're toiling and they're striving and they're, they're working and all this stuff and they're doing it in their own strength and own ability and guess what? They're continually coming to the end of themselves and they are fatigued and burnt out. 
But because in church, nobody can look bad, we all gonna look good. We always say, glory to God, hallelujah, amen. Praise God, glory to God, hallelujah, amen. How are you doing, brother? I'm blessed, how are you? Blessed, 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 blessed. And we gotta do all that all the time because we don't love weakness and we don't care for the broken very well. We, gotta per- we have to perpetrate like we've got something going on. We don't ever put our brokenness out there. You know, you give an altar call and, you know, people come and then some other people are like, oh, dang, Sister Salso's down there. I didn't know she was messed up too. And it's like, we're walking around posturing as if we're better than we are. And we're just not. You're broken and I'm broken. Let's get over ourselves. Let's just get over it. Let's quit faking because you're not faking God out. And the fact that we've had this religious thing about us, I'm not just talking about us, I'm just talking about church, this religious thing about us that we would try to act like, praise God, (laughs) all the time, and it's false. And it creates a self-righteous judgment that's not Jesus. Why? How do I know it's not Jesus? Because he's anointed to heal the broken. He's anointed to comfort the mournful. This is what he does. He comes for the poor. He comes for the needy. I remember it just, it became so hard for me, just, just not even, I mean, I don't even know, within the last five years, to just confess it, I'm needy, I'm needy. Why? Because we hate being needy. We want to look like we got it all together. But guess what? He only comes to those who are needy. If you're not needy, Jesus ain't coming. Get free. Seriously, I'm rejoicing in it right now. I am. I'm going, Lord, I don't got anything. I've got an empty sail and no wind. And I'm spending my life trying to blow wind into the sail to make my life go somewhere, and you're the author of wind. What am I doing? To to show that my boat went three more feet than your boat? Are we kidding? What are we kidding ourselves for? He says, I will give the garment of glory for the spirit of heaviness and you've toiled and toiled and toiled and you're worn out and you're bound and you're burdened and you're heavy and you're going, glory to God. And, you're, and it's a mess. And here's what the Lord's trying to do. He wants to take that spirit of heaviness off you, that bondage. He wants to take it right off of you and put a garment of glory on you. He wants to remove the heaviness of the enemy and put the heaviness of God on you. The glory of God is the weight of God. See, there's a false heaviness when you're operating in your strength, that burdensome weight of toil and prove yourself. Show me your righteousness. Show me how righteous you are. That religious spirit trying to get to squeeze all that, the energy and effort out of you. And God goes, I need none of it. I need you just to submit. 
He goes, let me take that weight off of you and let me put a garment of glory on you. Let me put a garment of glory, a headdress of glory on you. Some of us are so, we are so burdened because of the energy we expend right between these ears. I'm trying to figure it all out, figuring it all out, figure it all out. Listen to me, my friend. He's from forever. If he fits in your head, it's not him. If he fits in here, it's not him. <laughs> but what's your portion in all this? What, what comes to you in all this? What comes to you is humility and honesty. I'm nothing without you. And he goes, I've been waiting for you to say that because I want to take that burden right off of you. I want to put something else on you. That's beautiful. He goes, give me all those ashes let me give you glory. Give me all that heavy burden that you're carrying. Let me give you glory. And see, this is, the way, this is the way pride works. On the one side, we pride it all out trying to prove that we're something, trying to prove we're lovable to God on the one side. All working, trying to strive to see, I've got something going here, see. Ah! Like, it's all our human strength. And on the other side, it's the same, it's two sides of the same coin. On the other side, go, you're going, I'm horrible, I'm the worst. There's no way God could ever love me. And shame is beating you down so far. And the reason why is because you think your sin is greater than God's goodness. On this side, you think in your flesh you have something to offer. On this side, you think your badness is better than or is worse than God's goodness. It's two sides of the same coin. Your badness isn't worse than God's goodness and it's no worse than the guy next to you. Why? Because every sin is an infinite felony against God. Why? Because he's infinitely holy. That's why one sin counts forever because he's infinitely holy. So one sin is an infinite felony against the beauty and glory of God. You see that? So the number of sins doesn't even matter. One is infinite and requires an infinite response. That's why hell is a just judgment for those that turn away from God. But here's the thing, somehow we measure ourselves against ourselves and he says when you do that you're not, you're not wise. And so because you've got 10 sins and they've got three sins, you think you're worse than they are? No. <laughs> Their wreckage, your wreckage, we're all wreckage. And the blood of Jesus is infinitely powerful to cleanse your sin. Not, watch this, not just your sin, every human being sin on the planet, wait a minute, in every generation. The ones that have all come and the ones that will come. His blood is more powerful than the sin of every single human being that will ever live on the planet and not by a little. His blood is more powerful, infinitely more powerful than the, than the wickedness of sin. Why? Because he's a perfect sacrifice, God in the flesh, taking the place of all humanity. So your shame is pride in your sin. <laughs> it's what it is. Your shame is, your, is pride in your sin. Get over yourself. You're not that bad. And on the other side, you ain't that good. 
We're wrecks, man. I remember this guy one time I was preaching the gospel. This guy, he goes, well, if I went into church, the whole foundations would start rumbling and the thing might fall down. I go, nah, bro, I don't think so. Your sin is not that strong. Are you humble enough to get rid of your shame and believe the power of the blood of Jesus? Are you humble enough to get rid of your arrogance and just agree with the true state of things that you're, you're a wreck without him? And when blessing comes, don't imagine that it was your own goodness that made it happen. That's my problem. And I, you know, I don't know if that freaks y'all out that I sin, but it is true. I don't don't mean to topple the the false idolatry of uh, human pastors. Actually, I do mean to topple that. But I want want you to see something. This language of I'm going to give him a garment of glory, I'm going to give him a headdress of glory, I'm going to take all the sin and shame and brokenness, and I'm going to heal it and minister to it and anoint it. What's interesting is I'm going to give him oil, I'm going to anoint their head with oil of joy, garment of glory, headdress of glory. This is all adoption language. It's all adoption language. He goes, I'm taking you from your old father, the devil, and I'm taking you as my own, and I'm clothing you with what I give, glory and beauty and joy. And beloved, this is who we are. This is who the who the church is. This is who the body of Christ is. I was thinking about the prodigal son. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and no longer am worthy to be called your son. But the father said, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put the ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet. This is adoption language. Son, you're my son. Now, he was never not his son, but the son had rejected his birthright, and the father says, no, come back into perfect fellowship with me, and he wraps him with the robe of glory. I was thinking about David and Jonathan when that whole covenantal transaction took place. It's really interesting. Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What was Jonathan doing? He was saying, you're family to me. And In fact, he was saying, you're the heir of the kingdom. Even though I'm the son of, uh, of Saul, you're the king to come. That's why he gave him his stuff. Imagine what next day at school was like or wherever they were at, I don't know, went to school. But the next day in life, here comes David walking along. He's got Jonathan's robe on. Everybody's like, whoa, what happened here? That was a, a public declaration that David had been adopted into the royal family and that David was gonna be the heir of the kingdom. It's the same with you. He takes the spirit of heaviness the robe of your own burdens, the robe of you trying to strive and fruit it out, the robe of you making your shame greater than the power of his blood, the robe of your human effort and the flesh, he takes that robe off of you and he clothes you with his own glory. And that's who we are right now, beloved. This isn't something you work to attain. This is something you receive. Have you ever ever been treated well by somebody to the point where you thought, oh, don't do that, I can't, I can't take this? You ever had that happen to you? 
I remember when I was in China, this pastor of four million people, I've told the story before, he carried my bag through the airport and the wheel had broken. It was a 50 pound American tourister. What, what an aptly named bag. American. And he, I went to grab my bag. The wheel had broken. I couldn't pull it, so I was going to have to carry it. And I went to grab it, and he grabbed it too. And then we're doing that, you know, awkward, <laughs> trying to steal it from each other thing. He's a pastor of four million. He'd been in jail. He'd been beaten near to death for, for the testimony of Jesus. This guy, just, just a godly guy. And he, we're wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. He goes, No! pulls it out of my hand and I'm like oh and we're walking and it is at least a half mile to where I've got to go and he's carrying this thing and and I'm just I'm I'm crying I'm walking behind him crying and and I realized something I'm not humble enough to receive a free gift that whole thing that men do and they go out to eat, I got it, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. What's that? That's pride. <laughs> Anymore, I just go, sweet, you got it. <laughs> freely receive, freely. Just receive it. You got it. I mean, I'm always trying to figure out how to get it, but if the guy was going to fight me for it, fine, you got it, bro. Why? Because I want to prove that, you know, when you're fighting for it, it's like you want to prove that you're, you know, you're the giver, you're not the receiver. Well, guess what? If you're not the receiver, you can't be in the kingdom. So it's March 9th, and I'm, uh, I was traveling, and I woke up, and on my mind, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and on my mind, so clear, Galatians 4.7. It's just clear. I don't even know what, I don't know what Galatians 4.7 says, but it's loud in my mind. And it's so, it's so clear to me. I, I need to remember this. And I see my, I kind of just turn over and my wife is, is stirring. And I say it out of my mouth. I go, Galatians 4.7. She goes, are you talking to me? <laughs> I said, yeah. Galatians 4.7. And she, I saw she had her phone. I go, could you read it? And she says, yeah, I'll read it. And she reads it. Here's what it says. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I go, read it again. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And it actually went so deeply in me, it just started playing over in my head. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's just, whoa, just playing over and over and over. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God, and that phrase, heir of God, an heir of God through Christ. And so then I go to sleep, and I have a dream. And in the dream, there's a woman, she's prophesying to me. And here's what she says. It's all about sonship for you. The Lord's wanting me to let you know it's all about sonship for you. And I'm like, praise God. And then I wake up. 
And when I wake up, before I look at the clock, I know for sure it's 6.47. I just know it. In my mind, I know it's 6.47. There's no reason I should know it, but I know it. And I grab my phone, and I look at the phone, and it's 6.46, 6.47. There it is. But when I looked at my phone, the 6 was like a G. It was like G, 46, 46, G, 47. I was like, it's Galatians. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. Verse 6 says this. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Here's the thing the Lord began to minister to me. He said, you have to know this. You've received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment of your full inheritance. And, and it, the fact that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you testifies to the truth that you have been adopted by me. Amen. He's the down payment. So on the inside, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit, verse 6, lets you know that verse 7 is true, that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. An heir of God. And that phrase, an heir of God, I started seeing like this pipeline open between heaven and me. And all of a sudden, I realized... Now, you have to understand something. The Father Heart of God is a message I've preached for 15 years, and usually when I preach it, it really impacts people, to people weeping and getting touched. And it, I mean, just it's the number one thing people have come to me over the years and said, this has changed my life to hear this message. But I started realizing this. I can believe God loves me. I can believe he's adopted me. I can believe he's kind, but when I relate to him, I can still relate to him like a slave and not a son. Imagine I've got to work to get his goodness instead of just receive it. And that's what the Holy Spirit began to say to me. The pipeline is open and you believe that I love you, yet you still work to receive my goodness. I went, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from an, an orphan mentality. Because still somehow in the recesses in there, I was believing that I could do something to curry favor with God. And do you know what? You can't make him love you more than he already does. You can't make him like you more than he already does. And you can't make him give you more than he already has. Why? Because you are already an heir. You are no longer a slave. You have already received the down payment, the Holy Spirit, and there's a full adoption coming when you and I are gonna get filled with glory, and he is gonna finalize this deal when he takes that one out of the ashes and fills them with glory. But in this age, listen, in this age, you know what we get to live with? An open pipe between us and the Father. I want to tell you something. He's not withholding from you. He's not trying to get you to see how hard you'll work for him. And one of the leaders brought up, he goes, it's like it's Christmas morning. And he said, he goes, and I see myself with not one gift under the tree. He goes, I see myself, everyone else that gets to open presents. He goes, my job is to work in the kitchen and clean up. And I went, yeah, I see myself like this. There are presents for me, 
but I got to do my chores first. And I believe the Lord wants to emphasize this issue about being broken, that's good. It's not to be faked or hidden. I don't say you, you you don't stay in sin as a measure of being broken. That's not the point. The point is you confess and you repent and you ask for grace to come and change you. That's the reality. And that, that when you do sin, you don't hide it. Because you just come broke. I'm just a mess. I need grace. But it's in that place of, of actually being honest and humble about being broken and, and needing God that he says, you're mine. I've adopted you. You're my daughter. You're my son. And he's tender and he's kind. So for some, that's a hard hurdle to overcome You see, because you see God as mean and as a taskmaster. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'm gentle. And my gentleness is what makes you great. But he's so tender and kind and loving. But then at the same time, so often we think, and he's withholding from us. No, he's not. He's made you an heir of God, co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, Jesus, our elder brother, and we get to rule with him. Beloved, it is, it is beyond unthinkable what God is doing with us in the redemption and in the adoption, making us his family and then sharing everything with us. And, and here's how it goes. Here's us. We're against God. We hate God. We do everything we can to kill ourselves in sin. And in that place, he loves us so much that he sends Jesus to die for the one that hates him. I mean, it's not like when you were a sinner, all of a sudden you worked yourself into Jesus coming and dying for you. Just think that through for a minute. You're at the most vile place, and he's already sent Jesus. Did you work to get Jesus to go to the cross? Did you? Did you work somehow to get your sins forgiven? Couldn't have. Why? Because you can't save yourself. That's the definition of being broken. You can't fix it. And so then in the kingdom, somehow we believe like the Galatians did, that there's something we can do in the flesh to work for the anointing of the kingdom to come for the anointing of of heaven to be ours, for the full reality of adoption and the inheritance, and you can't work for that either. You have to receive it. You have to agree that you're not a slave anymore, that you're a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. Last thought, Psalm 113, and this is the verse that Gabe quoted that just sealed it for me. Psalm 113 Verse four, the Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. When the Lord is trying to give us perspective, he usually gives us a little bit of his biography, a little bio. He goes, I am high above all nations. My glory is above the heavens. Who is like our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? I just, it just blows my mind. He is so highly exalted that it's humbling for him to even look on the things he's created. Are you tracking that? Who raises 
the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap, and makes them sit with princes. This is who we are right now in Jesus. He's raised us from the ashes. We sing a song that says, he's raised us from the ashes, seated seated us with princes. We sing that, but we don't believe it. And I wanna tell you something. You can believe God loves you. You can believe he's a father. You can believe he's tender and gentle and kind and patient. And at the same time, you can think still like a slave, imagining you've got to work to somehow curry favor with him. And your work will only bring you to the end of yourself and emphasize in a greater way your own brokenness. Because all he wants to do is pick you up from the ashes, not get you to work your way out. Somebody goes, well, you gotta work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling is agreeing that you're broken and you need grace. That's what it is. That's what it is. Because you know what grace does? It actually enables you to labor more abundantly. There is no work outside of grace that works for the kingdom. All right, that was a shotgun blast. What does it mean? You're adopted. You're a son, you're a daughter. What does it mean? You can't work yourself into his good graces. That it's free and the channel is open. Some of you are working so hard for some blessing that you've already got. I say it this way, you're working to get into a room that you're already in. Amen, let's stand.